0: As we started this series on relationships, we started with a foundation of why did God create us? And we've been going back to Genesis as a part of reflection and we came basically away with two major premises. He created us for a relationship with him and that's going to be foundational uh, moving forward and each message has really been bent towards Making that case that God made us for a relationship with himself. The second reason he made us was for his glory. And understanding those things is very helpful as we consider navigating life around us. That was part one. Part two is what is the importance of that relationship? Born out in that message was the importance is that Christ died for you to buy you back as a word that we examined in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Peter uh, I think it was chapter three, chapter 1, that he died to reconcile us, to buy us back to himself. And then we looked at what is the nature of that relationship. Last week, the nature of the relationship is that it is a reflection. It is a reflection. Your life is made to be a reflection of God and your relationship with him. You might remember some of the illustration of holiness. Holiness is really the reflection of God's character. It's what he's like. We made some illustrations last week of Children looking like their parents and things like that. And I always say everybody's got something to overcome. So there you have it. Uh, And then this morning, we're going to, under that part three, was this question. What is the nature of that relationship? And underneath that are several points that we're going to walk through in the coming weeks. Last week was, again, uh, it is a reflection. Your relationship is a reflection of God. And particularly, your relationship with him is a reflection of his character in your life. And and many scriptures point to that idea, that his children begin to take his characteristics and following the Lord, look like the Lord. Today, uh, I find it interesting that here it is Valentine's Day, and as Jason said, for all of us men who aren't prepared, (laughs) uh, you've got after service to get prepared, I guess. Um, But this service is largely going to reflect on the relationship with God being personal. So last week, it is a reflection. This week, it is personal. And largely, it's going to have this flavor. His love is personal to you. And the reason I add specifically, his love is as you walk through these passages, you're going to see, yes, that you matter to God and that God makes it personal. The Bible isn't just a reflection of God looking at various countries and people groups. Instead, he drives down to the narrow little space of you. And very often in my uh, fellowship with other believers, I often talk about drawing a small circle around ourselves and walking with God in that circle. In other words, you can't walk with God for somebody else. You've got to walk with God yourself. And so, this morning, much, really, all the messages bent around the relationship with God is personal, personal to you. And let's talk, take a look at Psalm 139 to uh, make a couple points. I want to reference something that is key to Genesis 2:7. and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All right, so we understand that God made mankind, spoke Uh, He fashioned us after the dust of the ground. But in Psalm 139 and verse 14, would you read that one verse out loud with me? Psalm 139 and verse 14, reading with me. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Knows very well, knows of certainty that the Lord has made me, and it is a marvelous thing to consider the genius of God's creation in making us. And here's the thing. We live in a sin-cursed world. And it is true that we all have deficiencies. And we all feel it in one way or another, the sin curse. But even with the sin curse, God has made us for his glory. And God works even in all the messed up that, world is, that the world is and that we are. To magnify himself and to magnify that each one of us needs to know him personally. So God is certainly invested in you because he made you specifically. He made you to be what he wants you to be. Now, I, I wanna I wanna say I'm not a fan, it's not my it's not my normal tendency to go down. The, the language that you will hear often in counseling and some of those language type things would be, you know, we need to learn to love ourselves. I, I, I tend to, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's just me. But I feel like the best place that you can come to for a view of yourself is to look at yourself in the way that God does. good Does God know that we're sinners? Yes, it's no secret to him. Does God know your deficiencies? Absolutely. All of them. All of them. Matter of fact, He probably knows deficiencies that you don't own. Things that you may not say, well, I don't know. I I, I don't have any deficiencies. (laughs) You know, the Lord knows. But He knows because He made you, He made you specifically. And I would just, you know, I I remember somebody making this statement one time, uh, God made you and God doesn't make junk. And uh, I I don't know, I kind of like that statement and it kind of, it echoed back as I was considering this message. But I want to remind you that he gave you life and breath and he gave you life and breath not just to have it, but to walk on this planet and to understand a personal relationship with him. And to understand his calling in your life to walk with him. And I want to say this again. We know that if we were looking at the Bible, uh, we'll come to this at some point. The comprehensive nature of the relationship that we have with God. But God wants every bit of us. He wants to walk walk, walk with us constantly. And we talked about this a little bit in our Sunday school. You know, many believers have the idea that I'm walking with God if I had my devotions in the morning. I'm walking with God if I don't do this list of bad things and if I do this list of right things. And I think God is interested in the wrong that we don't do and the right that we do. But I want to say again, those things are simply blossoms on the tree of people that are walking with God. And that's what God is interested in. He's he's interested in walking with you on this planet. He put you here for a purpose. Now, He made you, but we're going to dive back in Psalm 139 and reflect over this truth. He not only made you, but a very powerful truth here is that he knows you. And he knows you personally. So if we look at Psalm 139, we recognize it's personal because he made you. We recognize it's personal because he knows you specifically. Now, Psalm 139... Verses 1 through 6, we'll walk through this, O Lord, thou hast searched me, and what's the answer to God's searching? And known me. So the Lord searches and he knows. He says, thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge, he says, is too wonderful for me. It is high, I like this phrase, I cannot attain unto it. So if you will, with me this morning, take a moment, I'd I'd like this not to just be Pastor Jeff up here preaching, Uh, I'd like you actually to engage with your mind and to consider what we've just read in Psalm 139 and ask yourself this, how well, how much does the Lord know you? How much does he know about you? And it's easy to give the answer, well, he knows everything. Uh, I actually think it's deeper than that. He knows more than what we think we know about ourselves. Now, I'm going to drive this point here for a moment, and I think it's foundational as we move forward because I'm going to wind up making this point later on as we talk about other relationships. God has made all of us with an innate desire and pursuit of relationships. I'm going to tell you, even those that consider themselves to be loners or what's the other word, hermit, Uh, God works in those lives to draw into relationship. And it is, I'm going to say something probably very offensive, and after the message I I will say I should have thought that out better. But even for those that want to isolate themselves from the rest of the world, you will reflect that that is not what God has accepted as the normal for your life, that you would walk through this planet without relationships. There's a reason that God put in your life a mom and a dad. And even if you, that relationship was limited, God designed that there be a relationship there. God has designed that there be a, 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 an establishment of familial relationship and that we have that partnership in family. But then more importantly, and I would say most importantly, as we've looked in these passages already, he's made us for a relationship with him. So even if you're you know, a person who likes to be alone and not around other people, there is still ingrained in the heart of every human being that you have been designed to have relationship. Now, important about this is that no other relationship comes close to God's relationship with us. No one else can know you like God does. And we'll, I will certainly come here again. But let me introduce this by saying You know, in the most intimate of relationships, most often described as a husband and wife, no matter how much you think you know your husband, you don't know him like God does. No matter how much you love and and know your wife, you do not know her like God does. And, And here's, I think, what's even more powerful. No matter how much you think you know yourself, God knows you better than you know you. That's why in this passage he says he knows our thoughts where? Where does he know our thoughts? Afar off. He knows what we're going to be thinking about. He knows those thoughts that have not even come to us. Uh, It's more than being predictable. God knows us so intimately well that there's just no area of life where he doesn't know who we are what we're like, what drives us, and what's going on. And here's the point, point. and this is going to be important. I'm going to make this point again when it comes to familial relationship. If you and I don't begin to understand the importance of a relationship with God, we will try to find the fulfillment that can only be found in God by trying to find it in other human relationships. And none of those relationships can meet the need of your life. There's no amen on that, and it's quiet. But I'm going to tell you that this is an important truth to know. There are times when women and men have your head on your pillows at night. Your spouse lying next to you has no idea what's going on in your head. And sometimes we live with an expectation, well, if he just knew this or if she just knew that, then I would be happy because they would know and then they would meet that need. And I'm going to tell you that every human relationship is limited and does not have the scope and power to be God for you. Now, it's it's an interesting concept on a Valentine Sunday when we're... You know, supposed to go buy chocolates and cards and and spend money, and uh, it's good. It's good <laughs> uh, to prove your love, right? Okay. Um, but here's 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 the thing. Oh, got an amen out of that. So <laughs> this is really important to know. Now, I think it's important to cross the gamut. There are people in this room not married. And looking forward to it someday. There are people who have been married for a long time. Uh, Do you guys look at marriage differently? Those who have been married for a long time and those who are looking forward to it. You see, there are people who think that if I get married, that's going to be that piece of my life that's been missing. And, 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 And it's almost like all my troubles will go away. And those that have been married for a while just look at you and go, <laughs> <laughs> It isn't, and I, I want to say this as, 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 as strongly as I know how. We live in kind of a funny time where marriage has been de emphasized. And certainly broken all over the planet. Um, and there are certainly more and more relationships today that are bound together physically outside of marriage. I think probably, I can't say that any other time in history. I just know that there's a, there's a major movement where there is a lot of relationship outside of the context of marriage. And it is, it is part of that seeking. Matter of fact, the world has a philosophy you kind of need to try people on like shoes. With the idea, if I just find the right one, then I'll be happy. But here's the problem. We're all sin-stained, every one of us. And that does not mean that relationship in husband and wife is bad. It just means it's limited. That truth is really important to know. For a young lady, young man, if you think you're going to find fulfillment and no problems just because you got married, you're in for an awakening. Can all you veteran married people say amen to that? What you did is you took one sinner and multiplied it by two. And I, this is not a bad thing. I, I know it sounds bad. But there's the phrase, love is blind, but marriage is an eye opener. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that it's not worthy. So much do I believe in young people finding God's spouse for them if they desire to be married that I advocate every which way to try to find it. Even if it means using a dating app. And by the way, you'd be surprised how many people in our assembly have found each other that way. But my point is, when those people come together, if there is an expectation that that person is going to satisfy everything that I'm looking for in life, you are sadly mistaken, because you don't recognize the limited nature of that relationship. Now, I'm gonna tell you what good that does for me. This is the illustration that I've come to, and I've been using it for some time now. I have a motorcycle. And I like my motorcycle. It is a TW200. My TW200 is a mountain bike. It's an enduro, which means it can drive street legal, but it can ride up in the mountains as well. It's often called in the world of outdoor people, it's kind of a, <clears throat> it's kind of a mule. It rides low to the ground, and that means you don't have to stand on your tiptoes toes to be on it. It can pack out an elk, which is what I'm always hopeful for. But that bike, that bike... If I want to be on the interstate, it will go 65. It will go 65 if I tuck my knees in, if I squeeze my elbows in, and if I put my head down. And just barely look up. If it does that, throttle down, it'll go 65. Anytime I ride it on the interstate, I kind of start wishing it was a Harley. But my TW200 is not a Harley. Harley. And if I had the Harley, I would not want to take it up in the mountains. My point is this. Everything in life has its limitation. Even human relationships. Because we are limited. But when I know that, I can appreciate the relationship for what it is. Instead of what I wish it was. Now, I don't know, maybe this morning that isn't profound to anybody here, but it's profound to me. And it's going to involve itself in every relationship, in church, in husband and wife, and in children, that every relationship is limited. And if I understand that, I can appreciate the relationship and appreciate it in the limitation that is bound to its context. And it simply means this. No body can be God for me. It is personal. It is personal. It is personal because God knows every thought of your heart like your husband can't. He knows everything that's going to affect your emotions like your wife can't know. He knows you intimately well. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and you'll see another relationship which we have with the Lord on being The aspect of he made us, he knows us. But in Luke chapter 12, I'll give you a second to turn there. Luke chapter 12, particularly, and I know I'm diving in in here. I know there's context that is surrounding these verses. The truth is still there. And that is this in verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all what? Now, it goes further then and says, Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. We feed the birds at our house. We have two bird feeders. It's one of the things on our chore list that our family fills those two bird feeders. And I want to tell you that, you know, they stand about that tall and about that big around. And I'm telling you, in a day, they can empty it. In a day. And I think, why am I spending all this money? (laughs) Because you love the birds. Okay. I love the birds. Um, But God takes care of every one of those things. And sometimes God uses one of those to take care of the cat. (laughs) That's awkward. The passage says, fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You don't even know how many hairs are on your head. You're like, yeah, I do, I shaved it. No, you don't know. You probably have hair you don't know about. (laughs) The point is, God knows more about you than you can know about yourself. He knows your thoughts when they're far off. He knows the number of hairs on your head. Why would God God even concern himself with knowing that? I think it just is driven to make this point. The relationship with God is personal. And it is further caring, which you're going to see in the points ahead. So we'll just go there and understanding that if he knows the sparrows and he says he knows us even better than that... He knows it because he cares and he does so emotionally to us to tell us, don't be afraid, fear not, therefore, and underscores this truth, you are more value. Now, take your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4. We see, first of all, it's personal because he made us, it's personal because he knows us he knows us better than we know ourselves, but in 1 John chapter 4, you're going to find this truth. Very simply, it's personal, especially in the extent that he loved you first. He loved you first. Now, I'm going to tell you something about this passage Um, this passage, my wife and I, our first date was February 4th, 1993. And on that date, I did not think this through really well. But I wanted to have a devotional time with her before, you know, we were done with our first date. So I wanted to read a Bible passage together. This is the passage we read. And, and it's funny because as you look through the passage, verse 7 Verse six, we are of God. He that knoweth God, heareth us. He that is not of God, heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, beloved. Let us love one another. For love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. And my point is, as you, I, I read the whole chapter and, and I was, as I read it, I, I had not pre-read it before the date. And it's like, Uh, She sure is hearing a lot about love. (laughs) Uh, Very funny, very funny. Um, But it worked. (laughs) What you see in verse 19, would you read it out loud with me? Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Let's read it again out loud. We love him because he first loved us. The initiation of a relationship, um, you know, you guys remember back in the days, for those of you that are married, you remember back in the days when you were dating and you wondered if she liked you and you wonder if he wondered if he liked you and, and some of us guys are so brave we, we wouldn't even ask them to go on a date if there wasn't some hope that maybe she'll like me. I mean, there's that kind of thing going on reciprocally to each other. God is the one who initiates this. He is the one who's initiating the relationship, not simply in the fact that he created you and he knows you, but he initiates this relationship of a personal relationship with him. And he does so expressly by being the one who starts things off. See, here's the truth this morning. And I understand there's, in the world today, frankly, Arminianism is not the is not the biggest flame in doctrine that's walking the planet today. It tends to be more Calvinistic. Uh, but there are those with Arminian theology that believe, well, I'm the one who initiated, I'm just gonna say doctrinally, no, you didn't. Doctrinally, you didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I think I wanna find God. You didn't wake up one day and, and, say, and think, hey, I wanna have a relationship with God. Doctrinally, the way that happens is God is in the world drawing people towards himself. He's working in that life to make you aware. Now, so so intrinsic is the nature of God initiating the relationship that when he made you, he also put in the heart of every human being that there is a God. If you don't believe it, go look at Romans chapter one. And and we're not gonna look there now, but in Romans chapter one, what you will find is God holds a world at, at not being able to be excused at stepping over him because he placed it in our hearts that he was there. But he's the one who initiates. He's the one who puts that knowledge there. He's the one that is drawing, and specifically he says he loved you first. Now, We're going to draw back just like we did in Psalm 139 and make the next point. So, he made us, he knows us, he loved you first, and next, he proved his love in 1 John chapter 4, especially in verses 9 and 10. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might, what? What? that we might live through him. Salvation and a relationship with God is initiated by God, but it's always very clear that salvation is found singularly in the person of Jesus Christ. But in verse 10, it says, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He's the one that stood in in time and history, put on human flesh and suffers all the way that he suffers for you. To be that one that would take all of your sin upon himself. And I, I know this may be tired for some of you that have heard me say it before, but you know, some years ago there was a movie put out called The Passion of the Christ and I I know I'm supposed to remember the actors. I don't remember the names. But I know it was a representation of what Jesus went through. What I heard was people saying it was very gory at looking at how Jesus was beaten. Now, when Jesus was beaten, would it have been gory? Right? Is it possible to portray that? I think so. I think it's possible to portray what Jesus went through. And I think if we would have been there, it would have been horrific there's a lot left to wonder about how Jesus suffered. I mean, from every point, and I'm not being graphic, simply to be graphic, I think when you understand what Jesus did by being our propitiation, by being the one who stepped in in history to be a substitute and to take our sin upon himself, it is worthy to think what he went through. The Bible tells us that his his beard was plucked from his face. It is not impossible, and theologians argue, not argue, but... um, talk about this kind of thing that it was very likely that when they ripped his beard from his face, that parts of his flesh came with it. It's very possible that when he was suffering the Cat of Nine Tails, the way that was designed, it was designed so that when the whip went around, actually cat of nine tails, when a whip went around someone's body, the cords in the things embedded in the cords were meant to strike in and to rip away flesh as they were pulled. So many times people died just from the suffering of the cat-of-nine-tails. When you ask yourself, why should the Lord love us, it's a good question. But what we understand is that he loved us first, And then he didn't just say that he loved us, but he proved it. Now, I want to ask you something. If you can portray what it is like to go through the physical suffering of Christ, does that measure how Christ suffered for us? Here's what I've always said about the Passion of the Christ. And and again, I've not seen it, but I've heard about it. And I've seen pictures of some of the portrayal. And yeah, it's bloody. Um, And what Christ went through. uh, It was horrific, no doubt. There is no way to portray what it means to become sin for us. How much sin do you have? Can you think about for a moment what it means for Christ to take all of your sin? Can you think about for a moment? What does it mean for Christ to take all of your sin? There's no way to portray that, but it is what he did. There's no way to put on a movie screen the weight of the sin of the world, which is my sin being placed on the Lord Christ. But he did so, and I think it's important for us to know this. He did so to prove to you that he really does love you personally. It's key in this passage when it says in verse 9, and this was manifested. This is the display of God's love for you personally. I'll read it one more time. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only-begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him, and herein is love, not that we loved God. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Has Jesus taken your sins away? I'll ask it again. Has Jesus taken your sins away? It's, a, it's my hope, it's a believer's hope, for everyone in this room that you have come to Jesus where He has taken your sins. This passage says said, that said he came to give life, and he gives it to everyone that will receive it. And you know Romans 6:23, "For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you deserve it? No. But he did it and he offers it nonetheless. He made us. He knows us. He loves us. He proved it. And number five in this list of mine, he will continue to prove his love, Ephesians chapter two. He will continue to prove his love. I want to ask you something. When God saved you, did he get a trophy? When God saved you, did he get the prize of, look who I got? There's another way to ask that question, which is it's a hard, it's a hard look. Have you and I as believers represented the depth of God's love by how we love him back? I'm going to ask it again. Have you and I represented the depth of God's love by how we love him back? What's your assessment? This is not, by the way, I know it gets quiet in here because it's reflective, but I, I want you to think about that in the world today. How do, you think, how do you think we're doing as believers? Do we love the Lord to the depth of which he loves us? And you might say, hey, well, there's no way that I can love like God. But let me ask you, should we be motivated to love him? What motivates you to love him? I want to say something here just for a moment. When I came to Christ, I didn't know all the blessings that God would give me in coming to Christ. I did not know. There was one major thing that I knew when I got saved that God would do for me. Anybody know what that would be? The one major thing that I knew that God would do for me when I got saved and it's the reason I came, anybody know what that was? I was afraid of something. I was afraid of hell as the just and due consequence of me being a sinner. I had no idea how God would bless in being his child. But you've heard me say it. If I could give the pulpit to you, I think you would say it. I have never, ever regretted giving my life to Christ, ever. Ever. The only disappointments I've ever had in being a Christian are when I have exhibited my lack of love for the Lord and broken from fellowship with him and done my thing. The Lord is always ever good. And it is a grand thing to be called a Christian. But God blesses more than you know. Some people come to God because you want delivered from your circumstance, And can God deliver you from your circumstance? Yes. Does God always, when you get saved, deliver you from consequence? Not in every way. Many times we've made choices that have lasting effect. But his grace is sufficient even there. Amen? It's an interesting thing to come to know doctrinally that he will continue to prove his love. And this will be a task that the Lord will set upon himself for all of eternity. In verse 1, you read this. And it, it ties into the previous point. He proved his love. Ephesians 2.1, and you hath he quickened. And we know quickened means to be made alive. He made you alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. We had the stink of death about our lives. You wonder what we're like outside of Christ. Look at the world around you. This is what a life outside of Christ looks like. It's a messed up. Everybody doing their own thing, everybody fighting for this, that, and the other, and it's empty, and it's vanity, and it's hopeless. But when you know Christ, there is hope. You, the one that he initiated his love towards first and proved his love towards, has he made alive when we were dead in trespasses, and sins? now jump forward to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us, to, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Read verse 7 out loud with me. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace, and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Do you get that? So I got a question for you. Have you ever have you ever thought, boy, I wonder if if it'd be like a, a cool thing if I had somebody leave me an inheritance? And then some of you think, well, well, I, I know my parents, and that ain't going to happen. <laughs> Maybe I maybe got a rich uncle somewhere I don't know about. You know, it's going to, you know, they're going to give me all these things when they pass away. Well, this, this verse 7 says that, it, listen to this. It is God's intention for the ages to, to come. Now, what does that represent, the ages to come? What is that representing? What, what other words would we use to describe that? The ages to come. Eternity. We would agree, heaven, being with him, time without end, that in the ages to come, he might show, and and he uses rich language here, uh, the very word actually, the exceeding riches of his grace, specifically in this, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Now, I believe this means a couple things. Uh, And it basically comes from studying other passages. I believe it means that for all of eternity, we will be the beneficiaries of God's grace. That will never change. Amen. And again, there aren't. to my knowledge, I don't know anything about time clocks in heaven. I don't, I don't know what that's going to be like, but for as long as there is eternity, it is the purpose of God to show his kindness to us in every moment that we're there as a reflection of the grace that was given us in being saved. And yet, if you were to study other passages about heaven, you would recognize that we cannot even imagine how good heaven is. It is better than we know. It is better than we imagine. It is better than we think. And it is based in simply the kindness of God loving you as an individual. So, all right, I've got to drive it home for a moment here. All right, folks, let's pay attention. Let's just have a coffee table talk. And if you want to drink tea, fine. Um, here's the question. Has God been good to you? How much? And how do you answer that? <laughs> I don't know. How much has God been good to you? Would, you? would you say a little? Would you say, Bob? Yeah, that's a good answer, more than I deserve. Would you say a little or would you say a lot? I mean, right where you sit today, right where you sit today, how good has God been to you? I will tell you, if you have a negative view of God right now and about what you're going through in life, it means you really don't understand who he is. Testimonially, I'll just say it. I'll I'll echo Bob. He's been better than I deserve and and immeasurably beyond what I could think. Now, does that mean that I don't face or you don't face trouble in your life? Absolutely not. But I want to are you ready? Are you listening? Could you imagine going through this life without Christ? You think about that. You think about it. Let it sit home in the seat that you occupy right now. What would life be like if you did not have Christ right now? And if you got everything that you wanted in the world, would it be enough? And here's the answer. No. Because no amount of stuff was meant to replace a relationship with God. No amount of stuff was meant to be closer to you than a relationship with God. And guess what human beings have told us? No amount of stuff is enough. True? He will continue to prove his love. Our next point, his love is unconditional. Now, I'm not going to take a long time on this because I think you would know the verse really well. His love is unconditional. Predicated on the verses we've already looked at. He initiated it. He started it. He did all the work. He pursues us. And, and I'm going to take a moment here before I give the verse on his love is unconditional. Let me, this is, this is the sentiment that I kind of come to. Does it seem like the Lord is continually pulling teeth to draw us close to himself? Why should the king of heaven have to battle with the stubborn will to just walk in relationship with him, but he does? But he does. It's beyond comprehension. Too great for me, as Psalm 139 said, to understand. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So commendeth means what? To demonstrate. Let's say it commendeth means what? It's the same thing that happened in our previous passage of Ephesians 2. He demonstrates his love for us. And are you with me? He did not wait for you to get cleaned up before he would reach out to your life to offer you salvation. Amen? He didn't wait for you to get your act together before you would be saved. He didn't wait for you to stop that habit or stop this thing. And by the way, it's one of the number one, one of the number one reasons that I reject repentance theology. Repentance theology, defined incorrectly, is the theology that when you come to Christ, you have to stop sinning and stop this and stop that. You do not have the power to live victoriously in Christ until you know Christ, But once you know him, that good and mighty and powerful God works in our lives to do what he said he would do, to bring us into a relationship with him and to develop that relationship, to keep building that relationship. And let me again say for everybody here, God is a builder in this. He's building this in you, in your life. And I'll say one more time. What's your life been like since you've been saved? Are you a trophy now? You got it all figured out and you all you got it all together and and you've got no problems in your life about your own personal character and behavior? That's where marriage is good. You have another perspective to, to answer that question. <laughs> a little dose of reality. I'm serious about this. I, I'm going to take this for a moment. I'll drive it to, to my relationship with my wife. One of the things that's a, a blessing to me is I have lived my life married now for 28 years and not a long time compared to some. Again, we had the uh, 40s here, 72 years. This is the beginning of our 28th year. And... I've said this to people before. There's only one thing I regret about my marriage, and that is that I didn't know my wife earlier. And then she's quick to remind me that if, if you did, we probably wouldn't have liked each other. <laughs> I look at my wife as a gift of God's grace to me, and I look at it specifically this way. I don't believe that I've ever deserved the blessing of who she is in my life. I think that's a small example to me of, of relationship with God he demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us now in my list this is number six his love is unconditional he did not wait for us to get cleaned up some of you think I have 32 points and you'd be wrong (laughs) I only have two more Number seven, his love is unbreakable. Take your Bibles to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, his love in this relationship is unbreakable. Romans chapter eight. And I'm gonna read verses 35 through 39. This is probably one of the more Outside of John chapter 3, this is probably one of the more powerfully remembered passages in the lives of believers. It's humbling, it's encouraging. So may I read for us, Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine? or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, an interesting word after what you just read. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are, again interesting words here, Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors, and listen to the phrase, through him that loved us. We know the verse as well, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Find the person which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right, Uh, sorry for all the illustrations, but but parents, have you ever wished that your kids could understand how much you love them? Have you ever wished that? You're like, man, if they could just see, if if they could just feel. I believe that's how God is. If they just knew. But he's given us the scripture to tell us and to tell us and to tell us and to tell us. pretty powerful list in Romans chapter eight. And obviously, the argument is, nothing can separate you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, now listen to this, just for, just for a moment. you ever experienced broken relationships in your life? Have you? It's a part of what we would call normal human experience that we have broken relationships here and there. And by the way, do churches have broken relationships? Let me ask you, you think that's what God wants? No. Happens all the time. There's nothing that can break this relationship. Now, that is a powerful thing. That is a powerful truth. So His love is unbreakable, this relationship with God it matters because it is personal to you. But then we end with this point. His love towards us is bound in relationship. And I just want you to go back to First John chapter 3, and you'll look at one verse, and we're done. His love toward us is bound in relationship. So we read, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We read that, and we can kind of take it that God's outside of the world, looking at the world, and he just kind of generically loves the world. But he loves you enough to bring you into his family as his child. And in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 John, we read, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God then there is an application, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. We mentioned this just a couple weeks ago, this world is not my home. Why? Because I am made for a deeper relationship than the things of this world. Now, your job is important. Thank God he gave it to you. Taking care of life is important and thank the Lord he's given you the ability to do so to the degree that he's given you that ability. Thank the Lord for the relationships he's given you in your life. They are a blessing. But none of these things can replace a relationship with God. None of them. Because they weren't designed to. You were made to have a relationship with him. That isn't based on religion. That isn't based on the do's and the don'ts. It's meant to be a relationship of simply walking with him. And I'm going to argue this as we're done. Not only is it walking with him, but I'm going to say he remains the initiator throughout the process. He never stops being the one that initiates. When we start going towards sin, it is he who initiates to draw us to himself and says, hey, listen to me, follow me. You will not find fulfillment in that. When we go ahead and proceed into our sin, he is the one that chastens and that rebukes and comforts. And he doesn't do so with an ax that says, I'm cutting you off. When we sin, he simply does what he began at salvation. He draws us back into relationship and it is he that initiates that calling. I think it is the most powerful truth that we will come across that God not only is love, but God being love has actuated that love with a target in mind and it is you where you sit. So I want to close this message by saying, look, some people give up on the walk of the Lord because they think I'm perfect, I'm not perfect, and therefore God is not going to accept me because he's done with me. I'm going to say this simply bad doctrine. And sometimes believers live a defeated life because you feel like, what's the use of trying? I failed, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed, and I failed. failed." I'm reminding you here today by the declaration of the word of God that he loves you still. Hello? So you do realize that when he saved you from your sin... Doctrinally, he saved you from your sin past, present, and future. Completely. Now this service then drives to an application to your life. And here's simply the, what I've been driving and trying to drive to. <clears throat> the most powerful relationship you can have in the world is a relationship with God. And when you do, He will work in your heart and all these other relationships. But again, none of those other relationships, while they can be a blessing and are, can never be for you who God is. So this morning, if you're lost, I wouldn't say give Jesus a try. I'd say respond to the one who loved you first. Come. Just come. Come. And for those who are saved this morning, this is where as a preacher I I find myself very ineffectual. (laughs) I find myself weak. And that is how can I somehow through the preaching of God's word instill within the hearts of God's people the appreciation for what God has done that would motivate us to sell out our lives for him. But consider, consider how much he loves you. Consider what he's done. Consider this relationship. And as we close, remember, it's personal. It is about you.